Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. We are back and ready for episode two. Our issues again, fatherlessness, manhood, and finding identity in Christ. Our guest, Tadis Ross. Tadis teaches high school continuation in inner city Monrovia, California. His principal calls him the knucklehead whisperer. His assignment, essentially, is to rescue kids on the edge of dropping out, kids on probation, kids with gang affiliation, predominantly boys, and just about all of them fatherless. So how do you inspire kids to change direction? What difference does a role model make when a kid doesn't have a dad at home? How do you teach manhood? And what is God's heart for those kids? This is part two in our series, so if you like this one, go back and check out part one with Gabriel Nieves. And here's how this works on the Soul Podcast. Each series has four episodes focused on one issue, but getting the perspective of two different stories. In parts one and two, we get the stories, get to know our guests with backstory and understanding. In parts three and four, we dive into the issues together. And these are some big issues. Now, I have to tell you, I had a blast with Tadis in the studio. I would enjoy a conversation on just about any topic with this guy. Tadis has a personality that's larger than life, with great insight and practical wisdom. But this topic, this is a big one. So we opened the Bible together and found some powerful truth. Time to get started. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word, all rights reserved. Find all our episodes as they launch weekly every Friday at soulpodcast.com. So let's get to it. you got to hear this story. Welcome to the Soul Podcast. I want to introduce Tadis Ross. Tadis, welcome to our studio. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> it is good to have you here. Brad is back with me. Brad Hornback, say hello. Yes, hello. I'm back. All right. Tadis. Yes, sir. You told me that you are called a knucklehead whisperer. Yes, that's what Flint Furtig, uh, my principal, he calls me the knucklehead whisperer. He, he definitely calls me the knucklehead whisperer. Um, there is a demographic of students at my school that... He just puts me on. He says, hey, I got another one for you. Where are you teaching school at? Uh, Monrovia Unified at MCAS, um, Monrovia Community Adult School. So, And then um, Canyon Oaks Continuation School and Mountain Park uh, School. So there's kind of like three different organizations on the same building that are governed by Monrovia Unified. What are you teaching? So I teach high set. So when they, they want to test out yeah. and they want to get an yeah. equivalency, I teach high set and I teach credit recovery. So if they want to get their diploma, we go over all of their classes and we teach. Okay, let's go. So you're helping kids when it's time to finish, get yes. them to the finish line. This is the end of high school. A lot of these kids at now introduce us to some of the kids you're working with. I have 17 kids, give or take, on my roster, and um, most all of them were on probation, felony probation. All of them are affiliated with gun, uh, with gangs. All of them um, are fatherless. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> now, is, and, and this is something that you can relate to yeah oh yeah my father was uh he was addicted to drugs you know he was addicted to crack cocaine and he left my mother um, my mother married him left her he was a street dude and um you know I, I didn't have any father you know I didn't have any father my mom was my father she was the strongest man I know hey Karain <laughs> there you go there you go I love it Better shout out for that um so uh yeah and then um now, now, your story is good. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here because I want to get into this whole story okay. and uh, and the arc that God is taking you on. But what we're talking about is a God who is a father to the fatherless. Yes. 
and God who puts the lonely into families. And God grabbed a hold of your life, mm-hmm. gave you some family, gave you men to look up to. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't your dad, God's going to give you someone else to look up to. And now that's your role. Now, now you're pass- passing that on, on to others. Now, what intrigues me the most is the place that God puts you in. You're working in the public school. Yes. Yes, sir. And you're working with kids who are on probation. Yes. we got boys and girls. Uh, disproportionately boys. It's mostly like, boys. Yeah, mostly boys. Uh, even if you look at the uh, penitentiary system and the penal system in the United States, it's disproportionately boys. Yeah. So these are boys. They're hyper-masculine boys who have no knowledge of masculinity yeah. because they're high. I was the same way. You know, total disproportionate amount of violence solves every equation. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the image yeah. of manhood that they had— that they, they've grown up with came from the streets for the most part. Yeah. And you got an opportunity because here's the thing. We don't really have much in the way of a rite of passage in yeah. manhood that, that's really fit in our, our culture. For, for some boys, it, it's getting jumped into the gang. That's, that's a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. But we have graduation from high school. Yes. Graduation from high school. As far as the public is concerned, that's usually what we look at. All right, you're an adult now. Yes. Yeah. So you've been put in, an op- in a place of opportunity working with kids who, who were veering off track. But you are at that one place where this is the step into manhood. And you've got a period of time in their lives to be a role model for yes. them to look up to. Now, you, it's not in your job description to teach boys to be men. No, but it is. But it is in my job description given by God. Hmm. So Amen. it's not in my. No, I'm not even supposed to. But it doesn't matter because I have to empathize. You know, God had to shed His divine nature, send His Son in here. He empathized with the human condition, right? Even though He was divine, I empathize with these boys. I love them. It's educational discipline. I'm not here to coddle you, but I'm here to translate your. I don't want you to be an old boy. I want you to be a young man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, they will stay an old boy forever. And it's like, no, these are accountabilities, responsibility. And then, you know, and and I love them. And um, one of my very good friends, he rolled down with me, Albert, he heard the boys calling me. And then they always tell me, like, these are gangsters. These are hardened criminals. You know, hey, Mr. Ross, I love you. Like, I tell them, I love you. And I'm there. If I say I'm going to be there, I'm there. I'm at the court date, I'm there. You need money, depending on how much it is. And if my wife let me, you got it. You know, so you're not just seeing the, you're not just seeing these boys at school. No, I'm going to court dates. Uh, I went to, you know, vi- I went to court dates in East Lake uh, Juvenile Tension Center and I dropped off homework like you got stuff to do. <laughs> now you got a lot of time. <laughs> no pencils, <laughs> but you got a lot of time. You got time to get it done. Yeah. You're out of excuses. You're out of you're excuses. Time to do your homework. But they haven't had anybody that was there for them on a consistent basis. Yeah. And say, hey. And who never gave up on him. You know, God never gave. He, he's always, he's a gentleman, right? But he's there. And, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm here because I understand. So I'm here. Um, I don't allow them to, though I believe in racism, I believe it exists. I don't allow them to rest on that card. If you are marginalized, then you will succeed in the margins and you will make it better for the person that's right behind you. You don't, you don't, you don't rest on that. And what's the demographic of, of your kids as far as races? All, all um, I probably have, I got, well, we'll probably segue into that later, but first, Aryan. <laughs> Her, That's first, a story. Yeah, first skinhead, um, but most of them. Got assigned to you. Yeah, yeah, that got assigned to me. So, so wait, so you got, you got an Aryan skinhead young man yeah. who needs to finish up school. Yeah. And, and he's been placed to look up to you. Yes. Yes. A black man as yes. his, his new authority figure yes. and a role model for manhood. Yes. <laughs> That's a good story. I, and on top of that, so my classroom is disproportionately Hispanic and black. Yeah. You know? And so this guy, my, my principal comes to me and says, hey, we got a new guy. 
He just got paroled. He wants to finish up his, his, his high school diploma. I'm placing him with you. He swats to get down, but he says he has his mind on right. He wants to do that. I let him know that, uh, you know, you're, you're chocolate. <laughs> I said, yes. I said, did you say Hershey's or Snickers? <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and then I, I called my wife and um, I was crying because the reason I was crying because I, I, I was so in awe that God would trust me so much to, to say, okay, I want you to be a representative of me to him. You know, it says, hey, if a Roman soldier, you give him a glass of water. Like, this dude has been programmed to hate me, but God trusts me to share my gospel to him. Not somebody who has commonalities. Someone's like, hey, man, you might, you know, did I see you on the news with Tiki Torch? Like, no, that wasn't you. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that's what I did. I cried, and um, he starts this semester. So this coming up semester, but he met with everybody. So, you know, he's a... He's a good. He's a, he, he was good. You know, we had a we had a conversation. Like, hey, this is a situation. You know, you kids kids somewhere. are kids, right? Yeah, you kids know. And, and, and then if you don't, them. if you if I was so upfront with them, and that's one thing I'm transparent. Well, all my kids love me because I'm the same teacher with them that I am with their parents. I don't change. I'm not like oh, you know, reprimanding these kids, and then when the parents come in or admin come in, like oh no, there's one. No, <laughs> like no, yeah. that's that's different. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just gave them. Listen, I don't demand respect. I demand to be reciprocated. I'm going to give it to you first. Please give it. Give it back. So I'm going to respect you as a man. I'm going to respect you as a person. I respect you as a human. And I'm going to even respect you if you don't love the God that I know loves you. That's fine. Because I'm a representation of him. Mm. Right? Mm. So, okay. And and he was a, uh, I don't think he ever been like proposition like that. Yeah. So, respect goes a long way. Yeah, you know, and not demanding it, demanding that it be reciprocated. Let me give it to you first. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm going to time out in this story because okay. I want to back up. Go ahead. Well, I want to get your whole story, see how you got here. What okay. is that you can relate? What what happened in your life growing up? How God turned your oh. life around? We'll get there. But first, <laughs> Brad, we skipped the rules of engagement. I was okay. waiting for it, but it was good. I'm sorry. Man, I was I'm just sorry. sitting here listening. Like, I didn't want to stop. I, know, okay. I just want to get right into the story. We'll but make it quick. Let's, let's lay down some rules. We'll make it quick. Give us the sole rules of engagement. Well, here we go. Okay. Tadis and Chris. And this is really for our listeners as well. You know, it's like we want to respect the story first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, humility before wisdom. Uh, basically, grace always, yes. right? Grace always through this. And actually, what is the most important thing is is God exalted through the story. Yes. That's yeah. what we're here for. Yes. As yes. we tell testimony, this is, this is your story, Tadis, and uh, we can talk a little of our story, but ultimately we want to hear God's story, where God showed up in your life. So we're going to back up. I, w- I want to get your journey here uh-huh. as because uh, we're, we're talking about how boys learn manhood. Mm-hmm. And how that happens in school today, how that that happens for for boys on the street. But let's talk about your journey, how how you got there. Start introduce introduce, <laughs> introduce me to uh, to Dees, young man. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a uh, Southwest South Central, Baldwin Village. All right, Baldwin Village, Santa Rosalia Hillcrest, thirty nine ninety four South Hillcrest Drive, <laughs> apartment B nine thousand eight. What was the, what was the name of the, what was the nickname of this area or the labeled name? It was called the Jungles. Jungles. It was called the Jungles. Oh, I grew up in the Jungles in Pomona, but pre- predominantly the Jungles. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now you you told me that in where you came from, your neighborhood determined mm-hmm. what gang you're. Yeah, there's of. geographical obligations. And I'm pretty sure, you know, your great Gabriel could attest to this a geographic. So even if you don't claim that neighborhood, if you get caught outside of the boundaries of that neighborhood and you and you fit a certain profile, 
uh, enemy or somebody perceive you as an enemy will ask you, where are you from? So it doesn't matter if you think you're in the gang. Doesn't matter. It's just where are you from? Where are you from? And you could lie about it. I mean, they'll go so far like, hey, um, let me see you got tattoos. You know, what? They, when you're standing in the store, people are reading your tattoos to make sure. Like they're looking. So if you say, hey, if, if you get caught on the other side of Jefferson or, you know, hey, where are you from? You say, oh, I don't, I don't bang. Oh, where you stay? And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you bang. What? I just told you I didn't. say. <laughs> like, yeah. I just been told you. Why did you even ask me the question if you already knew the answer? Association. Yeah, yeah um, it's like association. You so, you know, and then, um, and then you get put into a sense of uh, desperation because if you don't join that gang or you're not affiliated, you know, with that neighborhood, you know, whether it be a frontline gang member or affiliate, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you might have hell to pay when you come home. So do you want hell to pay here or do you want hell to pay mm-hmm. abroad? And you have to make that decision. the world will get back. Yeah, the world will get back. That you said you're not one of us. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, you're not one of us. Oh, you're not one of us. So what you, what you doing here? Well, I live here. My mom pays rent like your mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Now, in the midst of that, speaking of mom, mm-hmm. now tell us about the family. What what other what influences do you have? And is there a place where God stepped in? And got- oh, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the funniest stories is uh, I have what my, my maternal grandmother, fire and brimstone. It's dark. Hell is hot. I'll beat it out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then my my paternal grandmother, Grace Field, forgive G- Jesus forgave you, you forgive, and um, my mom is a testament of resilience and 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 hard work and determination. So my grandmothers would they would feed me the Bible, right? And my father was in and out, you know, whether it be rehab, and he was converting to M- Muslim Islam, mm-hmm. and um, so they would feed me these stories from the Bible. You know, my grandmother's like, "Hey, you're gonna go to hell." And this one said, you're still going to go to hell, but you can be forgiven. <laughs> so, so it's okay. So, so you get a little Old Testament, New Old Testament, Testament. New you Testament. listen to both. And then I found out, as I relate to you guys, that the New Testament God, oh, it's the same Old Testament God, because my 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 paternal grandmother was grace-filled. Yeah. I was having a fight with my cousin Malik over a He-Man figurine. I'll never forget this. <laughs> she told us to stop. <laughs> my grandmother was so nice. It wasn't that I was being disobedient. Well, I was. But... There was never repercussion. There's no consequence. Oh, man. She beat us. She went out and got a switch <laughs> and, and a green one. <laughs> and, and she, a whip, actually. Yeah, and she beat us. And then so when I got— So you the New Testament until yeah, you arrive at the Book of Revelation. When I started thinking, when I got older, you know, because they were both personifications of different testaments, yeah. you know, of mm-hmm. the Bible— I'm like, hey, the New Testament God is the Old Testament God. Like, you know— because found out real, in a real <laughs> in kind a real of way. way. So don't test them. You know, don't test them. And um, yeah. and then my, my mother's just extremely resilient. That's why, you know, she's uh, one of the hardest and strongest men that I've ever met. And I say that with all respect. Like, you know, she, um, she, she was just, my father left and every man steps up. Every person slides over. Yeah. So now she has to be a protector and provision. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're going to talk yeah. about this in one of the next episodes. Mm-hmm. But, but it is important to see how a woman plays a role in the development of a young boy into manhood. Yeah. And so, oftentimes a woman has to step up if, if no man will. Yeah. And, and we, a woman can be a role model even to understand manhood, whether it's providing or, or yeah. respect or strength and courage, all those things, you can see those things in your mom and your grandmas. Yeah, oh, I saw it. I saw now, it. did you take all that in and decide you're going to walk with the Lord? No, not at all. Um, you know, uh, I got into some bad situations. I got into selling drugs. I got into carrying guns. Um, and tell me about the, the pull of Islam. You said, you said well, your dad well, got my, pulled Yeah, in. my father, um, and I can honestly say that I chose the Lord as my personal Lord and Savior. 
right? Mm-hmm. I don't condemn people for having other theistic views, but I, I, this is the one that I have, and this is the one that I will share, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when Christianity was presented to me, right, and my father would come home from from jail or whatever, and um, Luke Mon, he was a good man, he would come home, and they would say, hey, this white deity that they're feeding you, look at what it's doing to our communities. Where is he? They've weaponized it against us. And when you look at slavery, because people think that slavery is so far removed, and it is to a certain degree, but those injustices of slavery are not. So, you know, if Martin Luther King convinced Lyndon B. Johnson to reform civil rights, that's 1960. My mom was born in 19, I'm not going to tell mom, but 1950s. <laughs> I love you, mom. In <laughs> the late 1950s, late 1950s. So, <laughs> so, so um, you know, situation is like that. So you know, that's literally a generation away. So they would use that and say, hey, yeah. man. And I can honestly say I didn't really see any, I didn't see any, for lack of a better term, white people in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Except that they were police officers, they were teachers, or landlords. Yeah, that's it. I didn't see them. So then, when I see the despair that we were living in, and relative despair, when I went to um, Mexico, when I sent my sons to Mexico on the on the uh, their missions trip through our church, Fellowship Monrovia, that's despair, right? So we have relative despair because. Where I grew up is right next to Baldwin Hills, which was affluent, mm-hmm. and Ladera Heights, which is affluent. These are doctors and lawyers and, and business moguls. So when you don't have something and it's relative, it's close, that's the worst thing. And then, you know, um, they yeah. say, hey. A lot of times it's all way. about what, what's nearby. Because I'll say, I've, I've been down to Mexico a lot. I love going down to Mexico. Uh-huh. And at first I came in with sort of a, you know, this like white man's chip on, on the shoulder. Like, mm-hmm. oh, all right, kids. I was a youth pastor. Uh-huh. We're coming in. We're helping out the the poor people. Uh-huh. And, and I, God had to turn me around and say, they don't look at themselves like that. Exactly. I'm mm-hmm. just coming in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And we're hanging out at the school. We're hanging out with the yeah. people. And it doesn't matter what, what how much affluence I come in with. People deserve respect. By all people means. Are people. And the people and when we went down, the people wanted to to serve us. And I had to get a reversal of my mindset. Get to know the people. And I think that's a big part of it when it comes to to race. You gotta connect with people first. Uh definitely. I mean in my classroom, definitely, you know, there's some racial tensions that are fueled along gang lines. And what we do is that we set the rules of I give them voice and choice. We set the rules of interaction. Because respect is the definition of respect is subjective. So we have to come to a communal definition of respect. Right. Right. And then so that causes certain demographics of certain factions to be desensitized and the other ones to increase their sensitivities. So there way I can ask you a legitimate question without malfeasance and get down to the bottom of it and build a bridge because I'm not sensitive and you are sensitive and vice versa. So if I were to ask you a question and you might be sensitive but now we've built that rapport. This is where this is yeah. our malfeasance. So I mean, so you're teaching kids how to get to know each other enough to understand what's respect to you and what's respect yeah. to me. Because because yeah. you can jump on each other from from the get go for anything. What you're reading is disrespect, and they didn't mean anything yeah. by it. You just mm-hmm. don't even know each other yet. We we build circles. So mm-hmm. you know, like I could put a circle in here right now, right? That that um, delineates me from you guys. I could say, well, you and I. Well, you too. You're getting there. You got some on the side. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. But so I could build, I say, hey, I'm the only black guy here, right? I could build that circle so that I exclude you. Or I could say, hey, we're bald guys. We're lovers of Christ. We're married 
two of us are married to Andrea. I love Andrea. All of us love Andrea. <laughs> yeah, right? Amen. You know that's what I'm saying? Why, just for our viewers, Brad's, wife, Brad's married to an Andrea. I'm married to an Andrea. And my, my aunt is an Andrea. So we all love an Andrea in some form of man. I mean, those are the circles that encapsulate us, right? Mm-hmm. And then we look at it, and I'm like, create oh, so yeah. So we create. Instead of building circles that separate, we build circles that encapsulate, that encompass everybody. And yeah. then they say, oh, we see the commonalities. But uh, And I think hmm. God does that sometimes when we're not even looking for it. And bring us there. Where, where, what are the connections that God brought in your life that you're at your place growing up, you're getting pulled into the gang, getting, yeah. getting into all kinds of mess, uh-huh. but your grandmas are, are giving you some gospel. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting shipped out to Michigan but every God, summer. God's, <laughs> God's bringing you some more connections. Man. So what are the connections that God used to get you walking with him? Um, so many. I wish I, I mean, one of them came with me, Albert Burnett III. Um, when I met him, I literally was going to have probably, you know, a gunfight with this cousin. Like literally, like no as the young kids would say, no cap. That means <laughs> no embellishment. <laughs> and I got that from my class. But <laughs> but, but uh, we learned from yeah, the youth. you know. And um, he he was his relentless. My grandmother's planted the seed, mm-hmm. and and he had relentless pursuit of me, and he believed in me. And like I, I I would cry. Like that's my I love that man. You know I love him. And he and he got me to go to church. And I mean he. He convinced me to go to church, even though I wanted to bring guns to church because I didn't know anybody at church. I asked him, I said, oh, the cops go to that church? Oh, I'm bringing a gun. <laughs> then he's like, no, you don't need to. I was serious like that. No. And um, he was uh, just, and then his family and his father, Albert Burnett uh, the second or junior, and they, they, were just, they were just God-fearing African-American men who looked like me and who loved the gospel. And, and, and were not, they didn't speak Christianese. Albert would talk to me realistically. He would he would be clear about his his flaws as a man and that I'm in the same boat with him. He didn't make it seem like I was closer to God. Like he was closer to God than me. He made it seem like, hey, listen, we're all undeserving. And from there, um, Peyton, you know, with my wife and Peyton and he's new breed ministries. And he's like, hey, I see big things for you. And Flint Furtick, like, hey, did you finish your master's degree? Come over here and teach. And, and then, you know, my, my students and it's just an amalgamation of God just redirecting the trajectory, plotting my course. And when I try to, like, you know, recorrect the GPS, now I'm going this way. Turn the GPS off. He's like, ah, it turns back on. You go this way. You know, and then when I, I mean, that's just how it is. I just. So God just keeps putting people in your life. Yeah. And that's a big part of how how we learn maturity, how Mm -hmm. we learn manhood, and for a girl, too, how they learn womanhood. God brings it takes a village. It right? takes a village. But God puts certain people in your life. So you're hanging out with Albert. Yeah. And, uh, and his dad's around. And, uh, and you told me his dad's a big man. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's a big man. I'm a big man, and, and he's bigger, and, and he's stronger. <laughs> so so how is he teaching you what godly manhood looks like? How does that happen? Witness. He taught me through witness. Like, I witness. Like, our children, we, 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 we teach to them. Even in the Bible, says every opportunity you, te- you, you take to teach. But I witnessed Albert dad love his mom. I witnessed him love his sons. I witnessed him treat me like a son. I witnessed him talk to me about the gospel. I witnessed him um, exemplify what he had talked to me about. I witnessed Amen. him do this, like, and, and not with an agenda other than doing what God had asked him to do, you know, right. for me. And then, matter of fact, when I met him, I told him, like, his sons were like, hey, man, you got to tell my dad what you're about before you come in my house. So I told him, like, a man, like, hey, man, I'm about this. Albert, to tell you, I used to have a Goku backpack filled with guns. He's probably back there laughing. 
That was the throw-off. The Goku backpack. Nobody thought the Dragon Ball Z. That was the throw-off. And, and it was serious. And I told his father, and his father, instead of shunning me, his dad was like, okay, son, you know you can't come over here with this, but you, you can come over here. Because he recognized that I was broken. Yeah. So He welcomed you where, where <laughs> you were at. He met me where I was at. And brought you in. Yeah. And <clears throat> we're going to pause the story. Okay. I want to come back. I want to talk more about your kids now. But uh, we got a little something to do. It's time for Theology Throwdown, Okey-dokey. and we're, we're staying on topic. We're talking about fatherlessness, mm-hmm. and what is God's heart? What is this all about? But, Brad, you got to give us our rules for Throwdown here. So there's some rules here to Deese, all right? So we're going we're gonna to read verses. We're going to keep them brief. Uh, penalty cards may be given out. I think I Maybe. got one last time. I think you did. It was just yellow, though, so That's it wasn't, wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, keep it brief, though, and, and kind of share with that. So everybody clear? Yes, yes. Everybody good? I'm gunning for the red card. All right, what's our question? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm gunning for the red card. All right, No, we're not going to do that. Okay. All, All right. right, so what does the Bible say about fatherlessness? Hmm. Okay, so um, mine is Exodus 22, 21 through 23. Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do that and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. So that means like orphans are fatherless. Don't take advantage of them because God loves orphans. He loves children. Not saying he doesn't and we're all his children, but he has proclivities. He even tells us, you, if, you, if, you, if you come to me like these children come to me, <laughs> you're doing the right thing. So, and that's what I look at when I see my, my students. Mm-hmm. When I see, you know, they're fatherless. So, and it sucks that it's not sucks. That's a bad term. It's a, it's a burden. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a burden and it gets heavy. It gets heavy. Like I had to bail one of my students out. Like I $20,000 bail me and another teacher, you know, and, and, and his, and his girlfriend, I'm not going to say that that wasn't the case, but I mean, two weeks away from graduation. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But it was father. And he's one that calls me. It's like, Hey, it's like, hey, thanks, Mr. Ross. And then they're putting me, when we take pictures at their graduation, like, Mr. Ross, you got to come put me on your Instagram. Yeah. I mean, on, yeah. This, he's going on. I, I want to, <laughs> I but he would be my first guest. I wanted the yellow, bro. Oh, okay, like, okay. I was going for the red. I'm Chris, sorry. What do you, what do you got for us? Okay. Okay. Right, I'm going to take it. That was a good story. <laughs> it was. I was like sucking <laughs> me in. I, I was like, I got my verse. Okay. Psalm 68.5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And what gets me about this is isn't just doesn't just say God cares about the fatherless. He is a father yeah. to the fatherless. Mm. The the verse that you were talking about, Exodus, that's in the midst of the law. And in yeah. the law, there's all these if you break this, this is what happens. Yeah, true. If you do this wrong, all of it, it it tells like this is the punishment that needs to be enacted. But when he talks about if you oppress the orphans, the fatherless, the widows, I will step in. God takes it personally. He says, I will step in. I will bring the punishment. And that's the Old Testament God. That, that's the Old <laughs> Testament That's my grandmama telling me, go get that green switch. <laughs> All right, so, Brad, you so got one? I got Psalm 82.3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm, just that protection, that upholding the cause of them, taking care of them. Uh, Nice. Let's All right, move, we let's move question. Next. Yes. What yeah. does the Bible say about restoring fatherhood? Tadis, what do you got for us? Uh, Malachi 4, um, 4 through 6. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with the curse. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I just love the fact that he will turn, He'll turn the hearts. We have so many fathers whose yes. hearts are not to their children. Yeah. It's to the world. It's not to their obligations as a father. Biblical, op- nah, 
I'm going to do my thing. And then once we go and we do that, then guess what? Our children's hearts turn back to us. So I just, and then, you know, I see, I mean, we live in an evil world. We live in an evil land, you know? And, and it's like, oh, they're normalizing abnormal things. Yeah, we, we got a lot of people making babies, but not all being dads. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. so, Chris, what do you got for us on that one? Psalm 68.6, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. That's just a beautiful picture. The lonely, God picks them up, and he puts them into a family. And that mm-hmm. family can look like a lot of different things. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes it means God picks you up and sets you at your friend's house, and suddenly that's, that's your family. Mm-hmm. And, and they're being family to you. And the dad steps up and, and is family to you. And sometimes that, that means that for, uh, for a widow who, who doesn't have anybody finds family at church yeah. or a, a home group, and it becomes family. But for I think especially for, for a kid, to, to see an example, like you said, of a man who loves his wife and man. parents his, his kids. Just to see that example makes all the difference. It, it, students in classrooms, you know, Tadis, that's, I mean, literally finding a family within the classroom. I mean, and I, they, that's... I literally have students who have ran away from home. My wife can attest to this. Their mother calls me. I have such a rapport with these kids. I'm like, hey, where are you at? This is Mr. Ross. I'm coming to get you. Mm-hmm. They come. Mm-hmm. My wife buys this young man. He sleeps on my couch for about a couple of days. My wife buys him underwear because he doesn't have any underwear. Underwear. So and we have a washing machine, think, but he doesn't have underwear. You know, he can't wear any of my kids' underwear. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there. We'll buy some underwear. You know what I mean? And I mean, and then, and I still check on him. So even though he, he, he came into some problem where we couldn't get him in our school district and he goes to a different school district, I still call him. Mm-hmm. I, I just went to go pick him up. Like, hey, how you doing? And then I talk to him about God, you know, and that's how it is. Amen. All right, we good on We're theology good. throwdown? We're good, man. That was some good stuff. Yeah. Tadis almost got carded, though. We went a little long, but it was good. It was good. So we let it happen. We let it happen. <laughs> hey, I want to transition. We got. I want to talk a little bit more about what it means to uh, to be in that role where God has put somebody in your life and your father figure to them. But I want to. I want to. I want to get back to the Bible, and there's a, there's a story that has always moved my heart so much, mm-hmm. the story of Hosea. Yeah. You know the Old Testament story of Hosea? Hosea was a, was a man who was told by God, I want you to marry Gomer. Go marry Gomer, the prostitute. Yeah. And the, the word there might be translated adulterous, prostitute, but basically from the beginning, God knew your wife's going to cheat on you. And fast forward a little bit, he has a kid. Mm-hmm. It's his kid. Fast forward a little bit further, he has another kid. This one's not his kid. He can tell from the beginning, this is not my kid. She's mm-hmm. been messing around. Mm-hmm. And Hosea actually names his kid, not my kid. <laughs> yes. N- not my child. Literally. <laughs> or not my people. <laughs> not I think he's just people. looking at him and he says, that's not my people. There, mm-hmm. take that name if that's what you want. No. Yeah. Another child, this one is called not loved. Mm. Those are the names that are, are given to them in Hebrew. Man. But the picture there was God was doing this for a purpose. The, the picture there in Hosea, God was giving Hosea a lesson on his relation, God's relationship with his people, that his people had turned away, that they had cheated on him, that their children, the children of God's people, generation after generation, were serving other gods. They're going out yeah. cheating on him. But God's heart keeps going back to his kids. And in Hosea chapter 2, it, it says this, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. 
Peter actually references that, that verse and, and that story in talking about our relationship with God. In the place where it was said, those aren't my people, it will be said, those are my people, and we'll say, he is my God. Mm-hmm. That whole thing is a picture of God's relationship with us, what God does with us. Mm-hmm. When we, because Hosea's kids, I should say Gomer's kids, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're just born into that mess. Yeah. They, they didn't ask for it. You don't get to pick your parents. They, they didn't ask to be the product <laughs> of an adulterous relationship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Hosea is called back to these children who aren't even his because that's the heart of God, the heart of God as a father. So that's, uh, that's the heart of what God calls us to as well. That's where God has put you. You got a bunch of kids in the classroom. They didn't ask for that situation. Yeah. And th- maybe they messed around, but with it, with life, with gangs, with whatever it is. But what they got born into was a mess to begin with. Yeah. And at some point, God brings somebody in, and sometimes that's you. So so let's talk there for a minute. We got it. We got a few minutes left. Yes, we still got a few we, minutes. Left. All right, okay. I, I want to talk there. Let's get to uh, what does it mean to be a father figure when you didn't have when your own father wasn't that for you. What your dad now? Tell me about your kids. Um, I love them. Four four sons. Um, just good luck. That's a handful. No, God, you God know, be with you. <laughs> the older two are phenomenal. The oldest one is in a early college. The second one is, I mean, the second oldest, he's phenomenal. The younger two, I love them. They'll be staying at home for so, a long time. So you got four boys. <laughs> not going anywhere, putting their name on the orange juice. They're not going anywhere. Still being around. You got four boys yes. at home, to te- and it's your job to teach them manhood. How do you pass on something that you didn't receive from your dad? Because God works all things out for his glory, correct? So the situation Amen. may be that my father did teach me how to be a father and everything that he did not do. So that's how I think about it. Like I say, hey, um, Moses didn't want to be called to lead his people. So sometimes you just got to suck it up and you have to look at the things that you're given. So my father gave me a blueprint of what not to do. So that's how I had to look at it. Like, okay, he told me, like, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to indulge in drugs. I'm not going to run the streets. I'm going to take care of my sons. They're going to see me pray. I'm going to go to church. Yeah. So I can honestly say now as a grown man, let the, who had let go all the resentment that he caused my family, I say, hey, thanks. Because I don't even know. God knew, he knew me right in my mother's womb before I was born. And he knew what was going to bring me to him. So maybe if I would have had a father, I wouldn't have took fatherhood so serious. He knew what was going to work for me. So the fact that I didn't have a father and I remember crying and I remember like, why are we living in motels, mom? And why are we doing this? So when I had my sons, I said, OK, it's, it's serious. I, I'm, so and the and the joke part about it is when I tell my sons, that hey, I say, you guys see me cheat on your mom? No. Do you guys see me pray? They're like, yeah. And I said, do you see me confess my, you know, my love of the Savior? He's like, yeah. And I try. I fall short, son. But I try. I try to fall for it every day. So when you get in front of Jesus, don't you blame me. <laughs> <laughs> that is on you. <laughs> Just wanted to go through all the check marks. Yeah, We're yeah, good. Yeah, listen, I did. I did the best that I could do, given what I was given, and I didn't cut myself any slack. So That's I'm funny. telling you, listen, as a grown man, you'll have to be held accountable at a certain age. So I'm doing everything that I'm supposed. I'm trying to train you in the way you go. So don't you get in front of Jesus and say, "Well, my dad didn't hug me. My dad beat on my." No, no, your dad didn't do that. <laughs> my dad did that. <laughs> <laughs> So God still got a hold of you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he just used God just used reverse psychology. He just used, he, and it worked. Yeah. It worked for me, and now it works for other you know students that I love. Well, and I think it's about drawing a line. My generation, it changes. Yeah. 
right? Because there, there's a cycle. There's mm-hmm. a cycle of fatherlessness. That, that's the way it gets passed on. Yeah. And so how do you see that with your students? Well, unfortunately and fortunately, I have a student, you know, that I, that I bailed out and I talked to him. We have realistic conversations. And one was about sexual um, promiscuity. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's in. I'm like, look, dude, if you're not married and you're a monogamous relationship, you're still being promiscuous. I'm just letting you know this right now. He's yeah. like, but Mr. Ross, I'm like, yeah, I know. So he ends up he graduates. I try to get him into a trade school because I have five things to get him ready for, you know, basically army or the military uh, enter the workforce two year college four year college or trade school. Right. Mm-hmm. So so those five things that I try to get him ready for. And he's like, hey, Mr. Ross, I got something to tell you. I'm like, she's pregnant, isn't she? And he's like, yeah. I said, so I'm like, hey, guess what? Playtime's over. When I became a man, I put childish things to rest. So I said, hey, you need to get an engagement ring, and we need to get on this. And I said, you got to make an honest woman of her because she's trying to make an honest man of you, and she's failing. <laughs> <laughs> so what did he do? So he's you like, he up? called me. He said, hey, Albert was in the car. He called me. He said, hey, hey, Mr. Ross, don't forget about the engagement ring. I want to go shopping. I said, when you coming back to church? He's been to church with me. I'm like, hey. You know, because I'm, I'm, I invite them. I'm there. Like, I'm there. And, and I cry with them, and I wipe their tears, and I say, hey, get up. Get up. And my grandmother would tell me, boy, Moses murdered somebody, and God still chose him. So what make you think he can't choose you? It's like, oh. And I tell my students that. Like, yo, man, Moses got mad and murdered an Egyptian, and God still chose him. And he didn't even want to. He's like, yo, get Aaron. <laughs> Literally, 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 and God still chose them. So you know, I'm, 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 I'm not going for the excuses, man, because everybody has reason to fail. Mm. It's relative, right? So, so if you want to work with these boys, (laughs) what's your goal? If you're trying to teach some manhood, what are the things in your heart and and your mind that you want to see when when they come in? By the Mm. time they leave, aside from getting that diploma, yes. Uh-huh. Um, what are some signs of really growing up, of really being a man? Accountability. You know, if you're in charge, you're the one to blame. Um, um, I want them to be, understand, and I hate to use the term, but toxic masculinity, and not to the fact that it's toxic to be masculine, but the fact that you don't have to be hyper-masculine or hyper-aggressive to show your masculinity. And we have definitions of manhood by we do things that are hard, Right. So, mm. oh, that's a lot of weight. You go to the gym and somebody got four plates on and they're repping it. That's hard, mm. right? You have somebody, uh, when you see the UFC fighters, that's hard. That's hard. Okay, so if we're, if we're, if we're um, going to define ourselves by doing what's hard as being a man, it's hard being faithful to your wife mm. every day. You have to marry her every day. It's hard getting up and working and taking care of your children every day. Sometimes we're not return on investment. It's hard being a follower of Jesus Christ every day. That's why it's narrow. <laughs> it's narrow it is hard so if you want to do the hard things because that's what you say is being a man then let's do some hard things let's not do Amen. easy things easy things is easy you can yeah. go out here and have all kind of babies and you could shoot people and you could do that that's 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 easy but can you do these hard things yeah you know and it's, in the oh, end man. it's about doing the right thing yeah i mean and, and you know i said man you follow god and he'll i promise you he'll put things in order you know i told him man you put things in order you know and, and just follow god that's the number one and luckily, my administration, my, my principal, assistant principal, uh, they are phenomenal followers. So they, you know, I never get any backlash. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Because you've been put in a place, because here, here's what happens. The school is kind of given the control over these kids. Mm-hmm. The school can't be 
religious or pushing one way or another. No. But a kid's a vacuum. They're looking for something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the kids also, like, the, we've kind of lost a, a place for kids to learn manhood. Like, there's no apprenticeships for a kid to go through. There, there's no, oh, I get the, maybe a coach that, that might be I around. Those. Maybe, senior. maybe a teacher. <laughs> uh-huh. But if those are people they're going to look up to and they've got to, they're going to look somewhere. And so you've been put in, put in the place of a teacher. They're looking up for what it means to be a man. And yeah. you got to talk to them about it. And you can talk about what it means for you. And for you, that means you that, follow God. Follow that's, God. That's take care of, of your family. T- follow God. And you, and, you, and you take care of your family by following God. And you follow God to take care of your family. So it's a perpetuating cycle that continues to empower itself with that's each rotation. <laughs> All right. I'm enjoying this conversation, okay. but I'm going to have to cut it off right here. Yes, you are. Brad signaled me the, uh, the penalty card. I'm going to get it. All we right. got two more episodes to Deese. I'm going to invite you to come back. Please. We're going to come back in our next episode on soul. We're going to talk about manhood, fatherlessness, and identity in Christ. How do, how do boys form their identity as a man in Christ? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're going to get back to that. We are, we're going to bring Gabriel back in the studio. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Okay. Tadis, thank you great. for being on this episode. Thank you. Brad, thanks very much. Thank you. Our listeners, thank you for listening into the Soul Podcast. We will see you next time. And that's it for episode two. Hope you enjoyed Tadis's story. Join us in part three as Tadis and Gabriel both come back into the studio. We dig in on the challenges of teaching boys to be men of God. Two men who grew up fatherless, now fathers, and even more than that, father figures to young men. We'll talk about how identity formation happens for boys, and in Theology Throwdown, we open up the Word to find the essential biblical characteristics of manhood. And in Episode 4, we talk about the role that race plays in manhood, and we'll finally find out what happened when Gabriel met the man he shot. New episode premieres every Friday. You can subscribe and get all our episodes wherever great podcasts are found and check out our YouTube channel to see it in the studio. Videos coming soon. You can also find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word. With audio guides for every chapter in the Bible, join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. This whole podcast is listener supported. You can donate on the throughtheword.org website. All gifts are tax deductible. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Editing by yours truly. Video production by Michael Kincaid and Daniel Torres. Thanks for joining us. You heard the story. Now go talk about it. Share a post, tell a friend, start a conversation, and we'll see you in the next one. You gotta hear that story.